You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, something interesting happened. I uh, had a phenomenal conversation on the plane uh, on my ride down to North Carolina I, from uh, Albany to Baltimore, and I sat next to a, a woman, and uh, she's 82 years old, and, some, and she was just really spunky. You know what I mean? You meet some people are 82, and I just was blown away. I thought, there's no way you are 82, and she was spunky, in fact, just talking the whole time. I enjoyed it, but to the degree, I'm like, oh, lady, take a breath. I'd like to say something, you know, goodness. And I finally asked her a question, and I don't remember if it was St. Patrick's Day or whatever, but um, I asked if her, if she, if she, if her mom took her to church when she grew up, or where she went to church, something. But uh, anyway, and she told me, and uh, and that led us to, able to kind of go down a spiritual conversation with her and uh, find out as she talked about things that she goes to church every week. But she said this along the way. She said, you know, I've realized that most of those most the rules are been invented by people in church. And she says, I don't worry about keeping all of those rules anymore. And then she said this, she said, I don't think God really wants to just always tell us that we're no good and how bad we are and we're awful sinners and all that all the time. And that was my door to a bigger conversation. I said, you know what? I think you're right. Sin is real. But God wants to give us a hope and a future and give us victory over sin. She's a retired nurse, was, had taught uh, uh, LPN nurses for years, and so she had that background. And I said, look, um, you know, most people see the Ten Commandments as ten steps, kind of, you know, how do you get to God? If you be a good enough person, you know, there's a step one. If you pray, step two. You believe in God, step three. Step four, you know, and honor your father and mother, and you keep all these things. And eventually, if you're good enough... You can make your way to God, and when you die, you can you know, live happily ever after in heaven. I said, that's not what the Ten Commandments are about. The Ten Commandments are actually more like a, uh, uh, what, what do you call the thing when the doctor puts the little, you know, the, the image on the screen and says, see that spot there? That's cancer. And what the doctor's trying to do is convince us that no matter how good we feel, that there is something inside of us that will, if we don't deal with it, will absolutely kill us. I go see every, uh, about twice a year, I battle skin cancer, the good kind, if there is a good kind. It's not malignant, but I've had my head cut on more times than I care to remember. And I go to him. I look in my face most days, most every day in the mirror, but I'm not trained to see what my doctor sees. I'm counting on my doctor to say, Sean, you see that spot right there? That's a problem. We need to biopsy that. Oh, yep, that's bad. We need to cut that out of you. I'm trusting my doctor to see what I cannot see. And what God has done in giving us his commandments is to help us to see what we don't naturally see. Because we all think that we're good people. And it's not that God wants to make us just feel like we're awful and terrible people. He just knows that we will not accept the good news unless we're willing to first admit the bad news. And God wants to free us and forgive us of that because He wants to love us. He wants to give us joy. He wants to give us hope. He wants to give us life. He wants to give us a future. But we can only get to that if we see the bad news. And so as a nurse, I was trying to help speak into her world so that she could kind of understand. She was close. Just, I was amazed in her spiritual upbringing at just what God had taught her and some of the conclusions that were really good. And I said, you are very close. Her name was Monica. I said, you are very close, but there's one more thing you need. 
I really encourage you to trust Jesus, to put your faith and your trust and your hope in him. Because if you're trying to trust in you just being a good person or being religious or spiritual, it's like getting a diagnosis of cancer and saying, well, I'm going to eat really healthy for the next few years, and that's going to take care of it. I'm going to get some, eat a whole bunch of antioxidants, you know, and I'm going to eat, what is it, like blueberries are supposedly good for you and tomatoes and all this, and I'm going to beat this cancer by eating really healthy. Like, it doesn't work that way. You can be as good as you want over here, but it can't mess up the sins that you've already done. So I say all that to say this. What I'm going to talk to you about this morning is the powerful love that God has for us and its ability to change our lives. That ultimately is what God wants to do. He wants to shed his love into our hearts, into our life. She was right. God doesn't want us walling around in sin and, and you know, just beating us over the head. But God wants us to hear and deal with reality to get to that point. So turn with me, if you would, and look in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to wrap up chapter 4 this week. In fact, we are nearing the end of, of 1 John. I'm excited. Easter Sunday morning, we're going to be at Tawasintha, and uh, we're going to start the book of Daniel, right? I've never preached Daniel on, uh, on uh, Easter Sunday, but we're going to talk about courage and uh, courage of living a life uh, before God, and so that's going to be fun. By the way, I encourage, if you have not, Easter is very close by. Be thinking about and praying about who to invite. I would encourage every one of us to invite somebody. We're going to do the whole Sunday morning. We'll be at Talisantha. It's going to be a blast. We'll do the egg hunt with the kids, and, uh, and we'll have a service right there. It'll be a lot of fun. But it's a, a day that really people would be open and interested, I believe, to, uh, to come to church, especially it's last year was March, right? Snow, we did it in here. This is April 21st, sunny, warm, we think, we hope, we pray. It is upstate New York, but we're ba I'm banking on that. Green grass, maybe, maybe not green grass, maybe some flowers. But anyway, so I'm excited about that. But read with me, if you would, first in 1 John chapter 4. The Bible says this. Beloved, that's you and me, loved people. That's God's love to us. Let us love one another. Here's why. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, John comes back to this whole love theme. And, uh, and we could be, you know, if we aren't careful, we could say, why are we talking about love again? Well, Apparently, we're really thick. When I was a kid and my mom had to tell me for the fifth time to do something, the problem was not hers. The problem was mine. I was not listening well and not obeying. So when God tells us again that we're to love one another, it's because that's not our natural bend and our natural nature. But it is what we should be as a part of our Christian faith. He says in verse 8, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. By his very nature and essence, he is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, I'll explain that word in a minute, the propitiation for our sins. Pray with me, would you? Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. Father, I thank you that you have demonstrated your love in sending your only son, Jesus, that while we were sinners, he died for us. 
Lord, help us this morning to understand afresh, anew, to be impacted by that, newly, deeper, maybe in a fresh way, maybe in a familiar way. And Father, I pray that our lives will be changed by the reality of your love for us. Thank you, Father, for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to know this morning that God's love has the power to change our lives in three specific areas. Lots of areas, but if I said 20 ways, you would get up and leave this morning and go for breakfast. So I'm going to give you three of them that are in this passage. But His love is really has the power to deeply change our life. And the first thing I've already alluded to in my conversation with Monica, but God's love has the power to save our soul. John talks about, he says, look guys, love is from God. God is love. We are to love other people. And he anchors that truth in the reality that God had love for us, that he sent his only son Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. You guys know that I try not to use a lot of big fancy human-made words, right? Uh, it's complicated enough. If I go to a doctor or when I go to the doctor, I want that person, him or her, to know all of that stuff. But I want them to get it down to where I can understand what's going on. Is this good? Is this bad? Or is this we're not sure? Is this, you know, what, what does this mean? So the, I will use this word this morning because it's a Bible word that is a very important word for us to understand. Propitiation means literally someone taking an, a, the wrath of someone else, someone enduring the wrath so that their, the punishment that was earned has been appeased. It's basically justice served. What God is telling us this morning is that God sent His only Son, Jesus, to walk on this earth and he did it as a demonstration of love for us. Not just Jesus coming to this earth, not just doing some miracles, not healing some people, not being a nice guy, not teaching people, not empowering and lifting people up. He did do those things for sure. But the very focal point was when he died on the cross for our sins because in that moment, Jesus took the justice of God fully upon himself he appeased the wrath of God, the punishment that the law demanded that you and I had earned because we had broken the laws, we had broken God's laws, we are spiritual criminals, each and every one of us. That's what sin ultimately is. And Jesus stepped into our shoes, into our place, and took the full weight of the punishment that we deserved in our place. He is the propitiation, that's what that word means, for your sins and for mine. That, by definition, is the ultimate love that anyone could ever give. The greatest love that anyone could ever give would be to sacrifice themselves, give themselves for someone else. And Jesus did that for us. A couple of things in there. If your understanding of who God is and God being a loving God means that God is uh, kind of a glorified version of Mr. Rogers, you know, maybe just this nice happy guy up in heaven, um, that's a really weak understanding of who God is. God loves us, but God is a just and a holy God, and out of that, His wrath is toward all sin. And be honest, most of us like that when the other guy has sinned against us. You know, they deserve it. I hope they pay. They, they're wrong to me. 
We don't like it when we're the criminal. We want mercy when we're the criminal. We want justice when the other guy's the criminal. God in heaven is not biased, and he's not caught in the middle of all of that, and he's like, I can't stand any of that sin because for two reasons. One, all of it harms one another. All of it, he, he hates the harm that we do to one another, whether it's with prejudice or hatred or lying and all of the stuff that we could talk about, the, the jealousy and the rage and the envy and the anger and the betrayal and all of that. God absolutely in heaven hates that. But he also hates it because it totally distorts and breaks the trust and it breaks the whole image of God that he placed in us. It is a, it's an attack upon him. He's personally offended. Think about it this way, mom and dad. When you gave your kids a clear rule to obey, I mean, one that's within their age, you know, you can't tell a three-year-old, you know, there's some things that you can tell a 13-year-old that you can't tell a three-year-old. But when you've given a very clear command that's reasonable, that's appropriate, that suits their age, and that ought to be there, how do you feel, and especially you dads, when your child clearly breaks what you've told them? Like there's a whole other level of them just not doing, not only did they do something that was dumb, but they, it was an, a personal attack. It's an offense to what you said, that it's reasonable, it's for their own good. And that's the way God is toward us, that he's, he's angry, he's offended at what we've done toward him. And were it not for his incredible love, we would all be without hope. So instead, he gives us the Ten Commandments. He's given us all of the commandments to help us to understand that we're not as good as we think we are, that we all have that sin problem. And then he turns around and says, by the way, I'm going to solve it for you. It would be like me going to the doctor and the doctor saying, Sean, you have cancer. Doc, I don't even have insurance. I just paid my last money just to come see you. I'm not feeling well. And it would be the doctor saying, and I know this doesn't work in Obamacare, but just play with me, all right? Just run the scenario with me. Um, but doc, I can't afford, Sean, it's okay. I will, myself, will cover all the expenses. I can completely cure you. That's what Jesus did, but even more than that, because he took the punishment on top of it. Jesus paid the price and fully uh, took all of that off of us so that we don't have to. God's love is able to truly save our soul. In that, He gives us life. Notice that when we experience that love, that's when we actually experience life. Look what verse 9 says. He says, In this love of God was made manifest among us, collectively, not just individually, but together, that God sent His only Son into the world. Why? So that we might live through Him. You see, God wants us to experience life. Before Jesus, we experience eternal separation, eternal spiritual death. And when we, we finally admit our sins and we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, when we take that next step like, like Monica did, or like, like I told Monica she needed to, she was like so many people in the world, so close. But she said, Monica, you need to go to the next step. Don't You know that we make rules. The mistake she was making is that she was making her own rules in her mind and thinking if she could keep her own rules that she'd be okay. She rejected other people's rules, but she was still living by her own rules. And I was trying to say, Monica, you got to give those rules up and trust Jesus that what he did, when we finally take that step, that it's him dying on the cross, paying for our sins and rising from the third day, that's what brings God's forgiveness. 
That's when you and I really get life. That's when we experience spiritual, eternal life for the first time. Everything changes inside of us. And when we experience that life, it is a life that affects every other area of our life. Sometimes people, is, it seems like when God begins convicting their sin or they begin experimenting and trying to understand who God is and taking those steps, they come to that, often will come to that moment of truth. Well, if I do this, I know that I've got to stop doing X, Y, Z. And they feel like they're going to have to give up and they're not going to have any enjoyment in life anymore and they're not going to be able to live like they did. And what the amazing thing is, is that God changes you. When He saves you, He changes that appetite and you actually begin to experience life in every area of your life. It changes everything, everything before Him. Second thing that God's love does is not only does it save our soul, it has the ability when we surrender our life to Him, but the second thing it does is it changes our relationships. Look what John says in verse 11. After we receive this relationship with Christ, and we put our faith and our full trust in Him, and we have life, here's one of those clear ways that it changes our life. In verse 11 he says this, Beloved, I love how the Bible, God just reminds us over and over again, I love you, you are loved. Beloved, if, you, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. You see, out of God's love, our love for others begins to flow. It's because God, God's love is perfect, it's infinite, it's pure, it's holy. It's, it is your love and my love, no matter how pure we think it is, will always be a little bit tainted. It'll always, because it's by nature who we are. We don't want to admit it when we're at the altar and we get married. We think, well, this is perfect and wonderful and pure, but there's always a little bit of tainting in our, our love for one another. It's by the nature of being human. But God's love is perfect. It's, it's not a, a, an enabling love. It's not a wimpy love. It's a love that God sees our sin fully, consciously aware, and loves us in spite of it and died for us in place of it. And, and out of that love, it changes us to where we actually begin to love with a purer heart than before we knew Jesus. In other words, our commitment to those around us changes. We begin to respond differently. Forgiveness becomes much more possible. I could ask you to raise your hand if you find it easy to forgive, but I'm convinced nobody would raise your hands. And if you were, to be honest with you, I probably wouldn't believe you. <laughs> Did you call me a liar, Sean? No, I really didn't, but it's hard to forgive, isn't it? It's a whole lot easier when we have God's love. You see, that's at the core of God's love. He sent Jesus to the cross so that He could forgive us. And that love that we experience from Him, it's a new kind of love in our life. And our love that we used to have is able to go to a whole other level. It's, it's able to be, for the first time, to be sacrificial at, at, at a point in a way that 
it was never able to be before. To the degree, that's why the, when we first started out, I don't know if you picked up on it, but the Bible says, guys, if you don't love, you don't know God. And truly, if you know God, you love at a much deeper level. If you really drill into that, what it's saying is, is if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you really don't truly know what love is. You see, the love that should be among us is God's people who have surrendered their life to Him, that the Holy Spirit of God has set up in our souls. It should be something completely different and much more sacrificial and genuine and real and pure than anything the world around us knows. And I want you to catch this. Now, so, well, before I move to that, and that has the ability to change your relationships one with another. You see, most of us in relationships, I don't care if it's with a coworker, or a boss, with your, your kid or your adult child or your parent, your adult parents or whomever, if, uh, your spouse, your neighbor, all of us, when things begin to become difficult in those relationships, and things will happen for sure in every relationship, but all of us tend to focus on the other person. Well, I need you to do this, and I want X, and you, and we go into fix-it mode, and we're focused on the other person. And what God's love does is it flips that script to where we, God says, yeah, I clearly know the sins that you've done. But I'm going to be the one that actually acts in a loving way and sacrifice myself for your good. You see, that's the love that God expects us to have as Christians. Not to be blind to those things that are going on in those relationships. We don't walk around just like a, I don't know, some, the word coming to my mind was psychotic, but just some just person that just is clueless, um, that, that just really has totally detached from reality. God's not asking us to suspend our reality and just love people. He's actually asking us to do what He did, to see full well the stuff that we have done, to see full well the stuff that people have done in our lives, but to love them and sacrifice in spite of it anyway. And when you and I begin doing that in our relationships, that changes everything. You know what the definition of an insanity is? It's doing the same thing you've always done, expecting different results, right? You've probably heard that. We all are doing that a million times over in our relationships, thinking that, well, if I get mad one more time, if I say this one more time, if I do this one more thing and this and I complain and on and on, that somehow it's going to change. And that's just dumb, but we do it because we're stuck. What God does is His love comes into our life and He flips the script and it changes things. It changes the equation. It changes us. Well, Sean, is it going to make the other person do right? No, not necessarily. It might. It, you're changing you and you actually loving them and you forgiving and you not responding in kind with anger and whatever else. You're going to be the one that changes. And as you change, then you don't even begin to know the power that that has to change the other person around you. Because for the first time, they begin to experience God's love in their life in a practical, real way. You see, get the picture of the next verse. No one has ever seen God. Why would John talk about that? We're talking about love. Why in the world is he talking about seeing God? 
Look what he says. Read on. If we love one another, God lives in us. Not individually, among us, collectively. Here's what John is saying. You want to live a life where God is living among you and with you? Do you want to experience God? Do you really want to see God at work? Love one another. Because in the middle of that, that is the manifestation of God's presence in each person's life. You see, when each person is genuinely caring for, sacrificing for one another, using the spiritual gifts that he's given in a way that benefits the other person, when our default mode increasingly more and more becomes not what this is doing to me, but what is it doing to you, and how can I act and respond better than what I'm doing to you, God is revealing himself in our midst in a way that can only be compared to somebody who actually sees God. It's something very different than the world around us. I don't know about you, but I want to live in a world that I experience God. I wish I could see God. I mean, I don't because God says in the Old Testament, if you see me, you'll die because I'm so pure. So I don't, I don't care to die an early death. But I wish that I could somehow had enough capacity as a finite human being that I could experience much more of the infinite, holy, perfect God than I can. We just can't. It's, in, it's impossible. It's like trying to fit the whole ocean into a little thimble. It just, it's an impossibility, categorically impossible. But there's something that happens when you take a group of people, like in this room, that genuinely through time begin to not only know each other, but to love each other, to sacrifice for one another, to care about one another, they begin to experience God in their own life that can only be compared to us actually seeing God. It's breathtaking. That's where the divine comes down to this earth. That's where we experience all of who God is in our midst. In fact, I'll go to the next step. This is the greatest presence of God in our midst on this planet. You see, that's what God wants us to, to not only receive, to experience, but then as a church to testify and to share of that love to the world around us. It's stark. That's why people will sometimes come here into this, literally into this room, and they'll just say, there's so much love in this place, I don't know what to do with it. And I'm kind of just, you know, I'm looking around, I'm like, really? Okay, cool. I think that's awesome. But what it is, is they're living such a life apart from that that it stands out to them. A couple of years ago, um, a friend of mine were ministering. Uh, we were serving and helping uh, this person. They were working through some real deep spiritual issues. And, um, and after a couple of conversations with this person, I, I reached over and I said, here, I've got a, I'm going to give you a Bible. This will help you. What the person said to me floored me. They said, I've never been given a gift before. And I said, you've never been given a gift of a Bible before? No, I've never been given a, a gift. This person was in their 20s. No birthday parties ever, no Christmases ever, no friends, nothing, nothing but darkness in their life. And there was a lot behind that for sure. The love that God has for us guys changes lives. 
changes our life. It gives us a relationship with God. It will change our relationships when we step into this world. And third thing that it has the power to do, and I'm done, it has the power to remove fear from your life. It has the power to remove fear. Look what John says. We don't have time to read every one of these verses, so let me jump to kind of the chase. The Bible says this in verse 17. By this is love perfected with us. See, our love isn't perfect yet, and it needs to grow and increase. That's what he's talking about. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, talking about Jesus, so also we are in this world. John is saying this. He says, guys, there's a day of judgment that's coming. Every person's going to stand accountable for their actions. And because of Jesus and this love that God has, it gives us confidence going into that day. Confidence. Any, how many of you here had a little test anxiety whenever you take tests? I'm thinking of college students especially, like, you know, the butterflies, oh, I hope I do well. You know, I always kind of, oh, I hope we do okay. This is what he's dealing with here. But this is a test to end all tests. This is a test to say, hey, you're either in heaven or you're not. This is a test you are either approved or you're not. This is a test where there's no makeup. There's no second chances. And he said, and John says, out of this love that God gives us in our heart, he wants us to have a confidence. No test anxiety standing before him in the day of judgment. Nothing like that. And instead, he explains it even deeper. Look what he says in verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever has fear has not been perfected in love. See, the love that God gives us, not only gives us a relationship with Him and saves our souls, it changes our relationships on this earth. It gives us a purpose to live for that's above and beyond ourselves. It gives us meaning. It gives us direction. It gives us guides. It, it, it just changes all of that, that, that we get to serve and be served and know and love in a way that's beyond everything that we've ever known before Jesus. But it also removes fear out of our life. Because God is saying, look, your life should be now live with confidence. You don't need to be afraid of my judgment and my coming to, you know, oh, you did all these awful things. I'm just going to come, you know, bring it down on you. We don't have to walk and live our life, as it were, on eggshells with God, you know, hoping we can hide. So many of us secretly think that we can manage, you know, we can hide as if we could hide from God what we've done. And we, you know, live that way before we knew Christ. God removes all of that. We're accepted and we're forgiven. We have confidence in Him. So He's telling us that, that it removes a fear of future punishment from a holy God. But he, he takes that specific example and He broadens it. Because in verse 18, He says, look, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. It's not just a rule of thumb, it's a reality. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, which means ability, of love, and of self-control, or a sound mind that results in self-control is what's going on there. You see, God, when God saves us, He gives us love. He, he, he gives us ability and empowerment. 
And he gives us a self-control and, and a mind that begins to, to, to focus and to bring us into that world. You know, fear, fear has many different names. And depending on that emotions that we feel, it could be, it could be dread. It, it can be worry. It can be anxiousness or anxiety. It can be terror. In essence, it's any big bad force that threatens us, that causes a, an awful sensation with inside of us, whether that force is real or not, whether it's past experience or not. And it stirs those things up inside of us. When you and I feel those fears or those dreads or those, those angst or anxious moments, you see, we can't ever remove that just by removing it. And, you know, it's kind of like stop thinking about the color yellow right now. You know, if I'm talking about the color yellow, it's hard for you to think about anything other than yellow if I keep mentioning yellow because it's just there in your brain. You can't stop thinking about something. It just automatically happens when you start thinking about something else. So for fear to leave us, for the anxiety to leave us, the worry, we have to begin filling our mind and our heart with other things. And the other thing that God's telling us is, is love. And when our love toward God is perfected, it tends to remove that anxiety. Now, anxiety and fears can be much more than just uh, kind of a passing thing. It, it's actually, fear and anxiety at some level is healthy. You know, if a bear's chasing you, I hope you get afraid. I, I, I hope you do something about it. You know, if you've got a test coming up, I hope you get a little anxious about it so that you'll study. It's a good motivator. It's a problem when it becomes crippling and paralyzing and it, and it, and it just covers and controls our life. And, and many of us have had experiences in our past that that just is weighs so heavily. So I'm not being here, I'm not, I'm not pretending, I'm not at all trying to play therapist with you this morning. Uh, if you've had those experiences in your past, speak to a counselor that can help you process that and begin to work through that and get to a place where that is not the controlling factor in your life. But even in then, what I am telling you is, is that God's teaching us that if you really want to battle fear and those things, Fill your heart with the love and the focus of what he has. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I was laying in bed after I've traveled a ton over the last three weeks. I think I finally caught it. When you have to pack for two trips at the same time because you literally are coming in and leaving and you don't have time to pack in between, you're just traveling a lot. And I was laying in bed this past week, and I don't know why I thought about this. It's probably a guy thing or a dad thing, but I was kind of running in my mind, okay, what would happen if, if, if we had a fire, how would I get all my kids and family out here in, in, in the night? Now, we have a ladder that we've had ever since we moved in our house. It's a two-story house. It's literally right under our bed, right where my wife sleeps, facing the window. And I was scenario playing. I was like, okay, we'd get all the kids in. And I'm like, oh, we've got a dog now. How do I get the dog out? Well, I'd probably wrap, he's like 40 pounds. I'd probably wrap him in a sheet and kind of play Santa Claus down the ladder. And if I had to, I would just like, okay, we'll see the vet after that broken leg. You know, we drop you off. But... Well, the cats are in the basement because we're really mean pet owners. I'm no, I have no interest in being woke up in the middle of the night by a cat. So they're in the basement every night. So if we could, I'd break the window and try to get the cats out. But 
you know, at the end of the day, people are way more important than cats, and we're not going in after that. But as I was thinking through that, in a healthy way, I noticed my heart rate jumping up a bit. Because I'm envisioning and thinking about what that would be like. Our mind is a powerful organ, and our heart and soul is. And so, at the end of the day, even though I scenario plan all of that, you know what I step back and I say, God, I trust you. I pray we never have to have a fire. I'm not trusting in that I've got a ladder underneath us and that we could get everybody out and all of that. I'm trusting in you, God. And all of that goes away. You know, that's part of what the Bible says in Philippians 4, that if there's anything that's noble and praiseworthy and good and just and right, we're to think and meditate and to think about those things. We're to focus on that that love, that trust that God has for us. We need to step back and say, God, I, I trust you. I trust you. That's our response to God is that God loves us and sent his son. And we respond to him in love and say, I trust you, God. You've got my life. And that has an amazing, it's an amazing antidote. It's an amazing cure to the fears and the stresses and the angst and the worries and anxieties of life. And at the end of the day, if we continue to step into, those wor into that world, we experience the life that God has for us. So this morning, I don't know what I have shared that has connected with you or not connected with you. But I know this, the God of the universe loves you. And he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And if you've never really stepped into that world, if you've really never surrendered your life to Him, our team is going to come up and they're going to lead us in a response song. I encourage you to take that step of faith, to move beyond trying to be a good person. That's like trying to, to cure yourself when you've got cancer. It doesn't work very well. I encourage you to say, you know what? God, you're a better doctor than I am. I'm going to take the medicine that you've provided, and his name's Jesus. I put my full trust and hope in him alone. And if you've already done that, I want to remind you that that same God that loved you the day you did that loves you just as much and even more today. If you're battling fear in your world, some of it's okay and natural. We would be unfeeling if we didn't have that. We should, in some level, we should be thankful for those fears, not at the controlling level. But maybe this morning God is wanting you to say, are you really trusting me and turning me to me when you have those and those things well up in your soul? You can't just get rid of it. You got to focus on something else and focus on him. Maybe, you're, maybe God touched your heart about the need to love one another differently and deeply, to enjoy that, to sacrifice for one another. That's why He puts us together as a church body. That it should be a normal part of our life. You see, love actually is shown the most when there's sin in somebody else's life. Think about it this way. Is God's greatest accomplishment of love by making this world and giving it to us? No. It's God's greatest accomplishment of love by giving you the incredible gifts and skills and abilities that each and every one of you have. No. God's greatest love came when you were a messed up sinner, that he committed his own son to you to die in your place. That means this, you're in my greatest testimony of love to those around us is when they are messed up sinners that have done wrong. 
And you and I do what we're supposed to do, even in spite of that. Not just by being this nice person, and it's easy to give a gift at a baby shower or give a gift to somebody that's nice and all of that. He's talking about love when it's messy and it's painful and it's a lot harder. So maybe God's calling you to step forward in that kind of love. That's to be the mark of what a church is to be all about. But regardless, whatever God has talked to you about this morning, I urge you to take that next step toward Him. That means you need to pray and kind of respond to Him or talk to Him what's in your heart. Do that. If there's something else you need to do, maybe you need to write something down. Maybe you, I'm being very serious here. It's okay. Pull out your phone and text yourself. You know, if you need to remember something, put it on your calendar. I don't know. But whatever you need to do, this time is your time to respond before God to take that next step. So won't you stand as I pray? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his incredible love by dying on the cross for us. Thank you for your love that you loved us first. You moved first. You didn't wait for us. We didn't get anything out of you. You stepped forward. And out of your love, we in turn love you. Lord, help us as a church to grow in this area, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.